0: This podcast is brought to you by Future Women. Become a member to gain full access to our exclusive content and packed calendar of online events. Every week, we bring you amazing guests, expert advice, and you get to ask the questions. You can also upskill with our online learning program to build resilience and better define your personal brand. It's never been more important to connect, learn, and lead. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. There's an option to suit every budget. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for season three of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale from Bondi Beach to the belly of Meghan Markle. A decade ago, the term gut health was greeted by confused faces. Today, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. But back when there were few people making the gut skin connection, Carla Oates was making a business out of it.
1: My friends and family were asking me, what are you doing differently? Your skin is glowing. And so they're like, we want what you're having. So I became like the local pusher for lacto-fermented foods amongst my friends and family and neighbours. And really, Glow,
0: my first powder, the first iteration of Glow in a Beauty Powder was born from that. Carla's now a pioneer of the inner beauty industry and founder of The Beauty Chef, which is on the shelves of some of the world's biggest retailers, including Neda Porter, Sephora and Selfridges. The company has recently received a $10 million investment from Point King Capital. Carla joins us to discuss her business journey, her belief that beauty begins in the belly and also what's on the horizon for The Beauty Chef. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or covering everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Carla, thank you so much for joining us on Next Generation Innovators. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm going to start by saying that I'm a huge fan of the product. So I'm going to try not to to fangirl over gut health and over glow because, um, yeah, I I really love it. Big fan. Thank you. It's such a (laughs) lovely feedback. I'd like to start by going right back to the very beginning of the Beauty Chef journey, where did the inspiration come from? Like what happened to pique your curiosity into gut health and um, working on beauty from the inside out? Well, it was a very, it has been a very organic journey
1: and really from my own experience as a child having eczema and allergies and my mum taking me to see a naturopath when I was around 12 who eliminated certain foods from my diet like gluten and dairy and also introduced other foods from into my diet. So from a very young age I saw the connection between what we consume and our skin health and well-being. And you know, years later I was working as a writer and a fashion editor for lots of magazines and then I got a job as a beauty editor for a mainstream newspaper and at first I was really excited about this is going to be great, I'm going to get all this product, and I, being a bit of a, nat- a natural researcher doing some science at university and studying naturopathy for a period of time, I was, uh, you know, looked at all the ingredients lists and I guess became quite concerned with the amount of chemicals in skincare products that were questionable, and, and I guess from my own experience I knew that really none of these, these products were going to truly heal or rejuvenate the skin or help you know, people, and I had consumers writing into me because I had a, a column in a mainstream newspaper saying, you know, should I use this particular product, um, at a, you know, that I found in a pharmacy, or um, so some some of those kind of really mainstream mass market skincare brands, and I just wanted to write them, no, none of those products are going to help Don't you. Touch it. Don't, Don't touch, touch it. <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> You need to focus on your diet and using natural skincare to really rejuvenate your skin. So I decided that I wanted to help change the paradigm in the beauty industry and help educate women on how to look after their skin in a more healthier and holistic manner. And so I quit my job at the newspaper and I wrote a book called Feeding Your Skin back in, I think it was 2002, called um, with Penguin called Feeding Your Skin. And then I became the natural beauty editor for Wellbeing magazine. I penned a column for Body and Soul in the Sunday Telegraph called Do It Yourself Beauty for about six years and wrote thousands and thousands of articles on natural health and beauty. And then my daughter, around she's twenty two now, but when she was about ten to so about twelve years ago, she also suffered from eczema and allergies, and that's when I started really looking at the. I stumbled across some research that looked at certain strains of or species of bacteria that influenced allergies and eczema or lack of in the um, gut, and so that connection between the microbiome and the skin and well-being. And as I really explored that link further. I decided to put my family on a gut healing protocol, and that included not only eliminating foods like I'd done when I was a teenage, like gluten and dairy, but also introducing probiotic rich lacto fermented foods into our diet. So, time honored foods like ferments, like. Um, sauerkraut and kimchi, that kids didn't like that, but I liked that, Um, kefir and kombucha into our diet. And I saw such a dramatic difference in my daughter's um, allergies and her skin. And my friends and family were asking me, what are you doing differently? Your skin is glowing. And so they're like, we want what you're having. So I became like the local pusher for lacto-fermented foods amongst my (laughs) friends and family and neighbours and really glow my first powder or the first iteration of Glow Inner Beauty Powder was born from that.
0: It's quite incredible that you were able to sort of read the mood on Mm -hmm. gut health and um, thinking about health in a way um, that people really didn't cotton on to for, I guess, probably another 10 to 15 years. How did you... um, what was it about that time that sort yeah. of made you go in that direction? Because you are known for saying beauty begins in the belly. Yes. <laughs> and I, I
1: truly believe that. I guess I felt it was really interesting. And I guess I've always been someone who very much follows my gut instinct and but also who feels I'm very passionate about things. And when I'm passionate, I'm very determined. And I truly believed I'd found a real solution to skin issues and so many other issues and when I did more and more research into the gut and skin and health connection I was like I'm really onto something here I really believed in it it wasn't a band-aid for skin problems or health issues it was really getting to the core of um, where so much disease I think begins which is in our in our gut and dysbiosis between us and our microbiome and at the time people were like Carla this is so weird like what I- <laughs> And inner beauty powder was so weird. There was no inner beauty category. There was no wellness category. And it was fermented. That was even weirder. Full of bacteria. This whole idea of bacteria being great for your, you know, your your skin. And so it was really tricky that, and, and you know, I think when you start a brand and when I look back, most marketers would know that you need a lot of money to educate a consumer about a completely new concept. Mm. And so I was like, you know. With Not just new, but like a weird concept <laughs> as well, right? I know. And I look back now and I go, wow, that was, I was extremely determined because when I think back to a lot of the naysayers, Uh, But I had a lot of support as well, like friends and family who were like, this stuff is amazing. What you've created, it really works. And we're really encouraging, really supportive. And so even the media work, so I had writers from different publications, including Vogue, um who wrote I remember Jodie Scott who is such a, an amazing woman and always been very supportive of me in my career and she loved the powder and she did a write up in Vogue and I remember um a buyer at Farmers department store in New Zealand she rang me and she said I just want to say I saw your powder on in Vogue magazine and I bought it and she said I all my friends have asked me what am I doing differently my skin is so radiant and glowing and she said but I'm so frustrated because I can't put it on the shelves of the department store because it's before it's time. We There is no category. And so I was kind of going, you know, what am I going to do with this product? I've got no money. Word of mouth was doing quite well. I was still writing as, working as a journalist. And so I thought I just need to really feel passionate about educating people about this. This is really going to help them. And then word of mouth, you know, the product kept people were, you know, neighbours were telling their, you know, aunties who were telling their cousins, you know, employees who were telling, you know, their um, family, and so it sort of picked up a bit of momentum and a bit of a cult following, and then a agent at TV shopping caught wind of it, and he called me and he said, "I hear you have this really amazing magical, you know, purple powder." <laughs> he said, "Would you be interested in on selling it in selling it on um, TV, and on home shopping?" And I was just like, oh, no, does that mean I have to be one of those people that say, you know, you can buy my powder and and that's not all. You get But a, wait, there's more. There's more. You get a <laughs> set of steak knives in there as well. So I was like, oh, do I have, you know, and he's like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. He said, you just get on there and educate about your product. And I thought, wow, this is, it's such an educational product. It really needs explanation because it was so unique and different. And so I went on to TV shopping. It was like about a year because I've got a very, very strict QA process. And I went on to TV. I was so nervous. And I... It did really well. It resonated with the customers. They got incredible results. Again, they told their family and friends about it, and I love that. You know, now it's what nearly ten years later, or maybe nine years later, and I'm still doing TV shopping, and it's the number one health product on TV shopping, which is amazing.
0: <gasps> That's incredible. Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, it's great. I I want to know how you transformed um, sort of, you know, making a product and building something and then sharing it with friends Mm. into a business. Like at what point did you go, I'm onto something here. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this.
1: Yeah. So I guess right at the beginning, I knew I was onto something but then I I was not making money out of it. So I was still writing and still sort of really trying to work on it on the side. And I still remember being in my bedroom and I used to have a computer that that came out of my cupboard and I'd be working and writing away for different magazines and then going to my little website and fulfilling orders and lots of, you know, boxes in the house as well. And then, uh, when I started on TVSN, I needed some, I had no like a couple of thousand Dollars, and I needed to fulfill a production and so I my sister and my best friend who are still investors today they um, gave me some money um, to fulfill my first orders for TVSN, and that was it from there it just kind of ticked along and built momentum and then I developed five or six products from my house with a you know team of, of helpers. Um and then it got to the stage where I started getting a lot of interest from retail and then I moved to an office and started and hired my
0: first sort of a part time staff. Because there would be a lot of people listening who are at that really early stage yes. where they've got a great idea yeah. and they're you know they're sort of blindly going into it and feeling, you know, equal parts scared and then, yes. you know, the other half of the time they're feeling incredibly brave. Yeah. Um what would would
1: you say to them i would say just you know really it's about pushing through and that success is really 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration like it's just the hard work and really just believing in yourself and the positive self talk and you know creating mood boards and business plans and believing in yourself. And it is scary. But I think for me, it was scary, but I believed in it so much. I was able to really push through that fear.
0: And so when you decided then, yep, this is a thing now, you're starting to fill all of these um, big orders from your um, amazing television selling abilities. And I 100% can see you with like a thing or you're stirring it and being like, ta-da. <laughs> I wish that we could see those early, early ones like right now because, um, you know, you think about how far you've come uh, you from that. I, I, honestly, my lips would quiver on TV oh.
1: and I was so, I looked like, you know, I looked completely stunned because I was so nervous. And Absolutely. I th- Absolutely. <laughs> which is amazing because I didn't love being in front of a camera mm. and, you know, it was something that, was I was like do I really have to do this and it's like no I need to and I think when you're really passionate about talking about something you really believe in it's easier to for the nerves to go Mm. and I was like I'm here it's not about me I'm here to educate just focus on your passion and what you're trying to say and that made it easier
0: And so how did you know how to structure the company, how Mm. much um, money to borrow, how much things would cost or where to even, you know, Mm. find a manufacturer who could make it for you once it got beyond, you know, just the normal household kitchen um, orders?
1: Yeah. And it's so funny when I think back to that time and the complexities and what I didn't know was ahead of me because I was just so... 'cause I had no experience. I was quite blind by it and going, okay, I'll just do that, that not really realising how complex it was going to be <laughs> going to be. But amazing. I look back on the journey, I go, wow, that is, you know. So the pushing of trying to find the right manufacturing of course because I have it's fermented food. So there's only a few people in Australia who can do the process that I that I needed. And to k- having to convince them when my orders were only 500 units, and they're like, that's our minimum orders of 5,000. And so I'd have to go, come on, you've got to believe in me. This is going to work. And having the TV shopping network support me was great because then the orders quickly became, you know, greater. And so having to kind of navigate the manufacturing process. And really, when I look back, I mean you know, from a commercial perspective, I didn't have a business plan or really think about it because my product is really expensive to make. And it, had I been very, you know, I I grew the brand out of passion and wanting to help people. And I created probably the most expensive product on the planet. <laughs> <in> the <fact. laughs> and all like local organic ingredients, they go through a fermentation period for six to eight weeks. And when I'd have, you know, diff- talk to different people and different accountants, they come on board and help me with a bit of my business plan and looking at my P&L and, and, they're going, Carly, your product is so expensive to make. And, you know, couldn't you have done something, you know, cheaper and, but when I look back and I look now and I'm like, you know, it's meant that we haven't been able to afford distributors. So we've had to sell direct, but that is also the, the beauty and the success of the company is Mm. that we have really amazing products. They work, they help people, they're highly efficacious. So while, you know, it was difficult in that sense, I couldn't get distributors and I had to work even harder and to to sell directly to our retail partners. And I I look back and I go, well, I, I couldn't have done it any differently because I wanted to create an amazing product and that's what I did.
0: I want to talk about the products, and I know that some of them are TGA-listed medicines. Yes, which would bring with it a whole other level of compliance and oversight. Can you walk us through how you went through that
1: process? Yeah, so it's really inter- the regs world is an interesting world, and I guess when you pioneer something completely new we're kind of, we're really pioneering very grey territory in terms of, we really straddle food and medicine. And so we kind of work both with physants, which is like the um, the food standard in Australia Australia and New Zealand, as well as the TGA. And so it depends on the product and what I want the product to do and the claims I want to make on it. So we always have a fermented, fermented base with our products. But if we're going to add herbs at a therapeutic level, say for example, our sleep in a beauty powder has, Passionflower and lemon balm, which are used as mild anti-anxiety herbs, um, or to relieve, you know, mild anxiety, and as you know, sedatives in Western herbal medicine. I have to, we have to put them in at, at high levels. It no longer is a food; it becomes a medicine. So then we go through the TGA if we want to. So it really depends on the product and what we're trying, you know. So it's really. I'm very big on compliance and I work with a team of naturopaths, nutritionists and microbiologists and I love the science. I am actually a complete nerd at heart. I love research and I find this completely, this area very interesting and intriguing and being at the forefront of it is also very um, exciting, also sometimes frustrating. But yeah, so we, we kind of, depending on the product, we straddle food and medicine.
0: Did you have any reservations um, at any point because you're not a scientist Mm. and, you know, uh, people would, you know, maybe try to um, poke holes in in what you're doing or in the claims that you're making?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, I guess, because we work with a team of naturopaths, microbiologists and nutritionists and everything we do. And we are very stringent around the claims that we make and our process. But going back to when I started, I guess I did my own research and really consumer trials that I didn't even know. I wasn't really even realising I was doing it as I was making these these foods, these lacto-fermented foods that... Helped with met my issues, my daughter's issues, and everyone around us. <laughs> so I kind of did this accidental consumer trial, really. Yeah. And I also had done so much research into the microbiome. I re- I truly believe food is medicine because food impacts the way we eat. You know what we consume and our lifestyle impacts our microbiome. Now our microbiome helps regulate everything from our metabolic health, our immune health, our brain health, our gut health, mental health, like huge. So. So, So, there's not only a skin, you know, gut skin axis, but there's also a gut brain axis. So, an information highway between our gut and our brain that influences how we feel and our mood. 90% of our feel good serotonin hormone is, is made in our gut. So, the gut brain connection, the gut, you know, skin connection, everything, you know, everything. And when you think about it, it affects our immune health and our metabolic health. So, that's one thing, you know, it's hilarious working with a team of naturopaths and nutritionists and microbiologists and scientists and every day, you know, we have, well, at least every second day we all talk and they don't agree on some things and it's very, like, <laughs> you know, very, um, you know, I guess polarising in terms of their views. However, the one thing they all agree on is that diet and lifestyle, especially diet, has the greatest impact on our gut health than anything else. So, what we consume and how our lifestyle practices. And I love the fact that, you know, we're working with these microbiologists who love what we do because fermented food's actually quite cutting edge, even though it's, you know, yeah, people <laughs> have been doing it for, for, for years. thousands of yeah. years to preserve food, but also for health benefits. Mm. Uh, we're working with some microbiologists now who are looking at the. Um, immune modulating and anti-inflammatory benefits of fermented food because of the postbiotics. And so in the world of biotics, there's prebiotics, probiotics, and now there's postbiotics, which is an area that I'm really intrigued by. And, you know, fermented foods are pretty amazing because they have the prebiotic, but they also probiotic and they also have postbiotics in them. And, you know, I can go into it if you want, but it might be boring um, about postbiotics. But just that, you know, fermented foods are quite interesting in terms of their health benefits and the research that's being, you know, um, done around their, their potential benefits.
0: Do you, because you have such a rigorous process and you Mm -hmm. are so involved and you do have the people, um, you know, to sort of back up what you know to be true and what you believe. And also, you know, it seems like their process is, is really, um, rigorous as well. You know, the fact that they argue and. Come back and forth. Oh, about we have parts so many great discussions. I would love to see that through. <laughs> really <laughs>
1: I'm but, always in the middle. <laughs> yeah. I'm always trying to mediate. Like, I'm the intersection. I, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from because I really do like I love mm. the science, but I, I love natural medicine. So I kind of sit,
0: you know, in between. And they are genuinely coming together. Yeah. But do you think, and do you get annoyed when mm. you see um, other wellness companies? Yes. Um, and the process that they go through and, and you sort of, you know, you know what you've been through and they're not as, uh, you know, let's say their standards aren't as high as yours or yes. they're making claims that you know that uh, aren't true. Does, is that hard to, to you know, see the wellness industry Yes, um, get a bad rap because of those sorts of operators?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I love the fact that, you know, wellness has become beauty and beauty is wellness and that there is a far more healthier I guess, perspective on on beauty. So it's really about not only looking better, but feeling better as well. And people understanding that the skin is such a great reflection of what's going on inside your body. So I think that paradigm shift in the industry is amazing. But of course, there are always going to be companies that will jump on the bandwagon, and, ca- and cash in on a movement, and yes, that is really frustrating if they're not doing. I mean, I'm I'm someone who doesn't look too much sideways at what my competition is doing, because I just I'm I love what I do, and I'm always trying to invent and develop and evolve. And you know, we there's so many um, brands, and sometimes I look at ingredients lists, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting, and I know they're making certain claims that they shouldn't be making. And I guess for the layperson, it's actually really hard to navigate. So that is frustrating that there will be brands out there that are not doing the right thing or don't have, or or maybe accidentally not doing the right thing. They don't have the support of experts around them to actually be able to give them, like to say, you can't actually say that. And actually that's not, that's not right. I mean, I'm particularly strict about those things and, and very rigorous. So I think that is not great if there are people out there that are not doing the right thing and not being rigorous about their process and their ingredients. And, and you know, some people don't think it's fine to put powder in a, you know, jar that's not organic. I also am very... Pr- through my experience being privy to some, you know, where some of these ingredients come from that people are getting. And because I only like to get where possible certified organic ingredients and also where possible local, I think Glow is now around 75 to 80% locally grown produce and certified organic. So that's really exciting. Um, you know, I know that some of those powders that are in some of those products are probably not particularly active and I question how they've been grown and harvested and treated and all those sorts of things. So I think for the layperson, it's really important to ask questions. You know, where is that ingredient from? Where do you manufacture? Is it certified organic? What are your philosophies around sustainability and, you know, and do you have, um, you know, can you back up the claims that you make about your products? So I think it's just important to ask the company's questions.
0: What, um, I feel like the Beauty Chef is recognisable for its brand look and feel. How did you nail down what you wanted your brand to look like? And then on top of that, manage to keep it consistent as you got bigger?
1: It's a very good question. You know, I, I do, I work as the CEO on the creative director. I really am very fastidious about um, visuals and consistency with brand. So I think it's really important that your visuals reflect the identity of your brand and the philosophy of your brand. And I I mean I love science, my two passions are science and art and design. and so it's a perfect job, perfect job and a CEO and the product developer and creative director, being able to kind of combine all of those passions together with an amazing team as well that really support me and are so, also talented and help me with the evolution of the brand. But I'm really particular about visuals, and I think sometimes it drives you know the, my um, our employees <laughs> a bit crazy, and they're like you know. Uh, Carla won't like that. I'll, you know, And I'll go, I just don't know if I like that apple there. And Michaela, who's divine, who's been with us for nearly five years and um, has grown with the company from customer service. And now she's a marketing exec. And she's like my second set of eyes. And she'll go, I kind not know about that. She'll, Carla, color not I did another option of that because I knew you wouldn't like the apple in that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that design is like the silent ambassador of your brand. It's mm. really important. And I want our visuals to be aspirational, educational, and but also accessible and beautiful and so that they can bring beauty and, you know, give pe- people pleasure every day when they look at our, our Instagram
0: and our content. Do you think that Instagram has played a big part in your success? Because your socials are so beautiful. Oh, thank you. That's so lovely. That's really nice feedback.
1: I think Instagram is just such a wonderful platform to engage with the community and to educate. And we love good content and being able to connect with our customers and tell them about gut health and, and, you know, tips and advice on how they can integrate, you know, nutrition and lifestyle practices that are going to support their gut health, their microbiome and their overall skin and their well-being. So, yes, uh, social media, you know, Instagram is a fantastic platform to engage with your your customer and your, your, you know, community.
0: Let's talk about the growth of the business because yeah. you guys recently, um, you received a $10 million investment from Point King Capital, Yeah, which is super exciting. Can you um, talk me through your thinking to take on an investor? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's an interesting sort of
1: process and evolution and something that I sort of really resisted for a long period of time. I guess you speak to a lot of other entrepreneurs and people who have entered into partnerships and you hear a lot of stories that around oh, you'll lose control and, you know, control because I'm a little bit of a control freak. (laughs) I try not to be. But, you know, when you have I have such a strong vision and so I'm always going to try and kind of I guess be true to that vision in everything that we do. And so to have to compromise that um, is, for me, you know, for years I was thinking, oh, no, I just want to keep on, you know, working with our, the team and, and, and not having kind of that other person who might, you know, really challenge me on things. And especially around that, you know, when we're talking about before quality of ingredients. So, you know, hear stories about… Of course, Yeah. When ca- People coming in saying, can you cut costs on this? That's exactly right. Yeah. So those sorts of things really concerned me. And so we have had lots of interest in the brand over, the, say, the last three years, a lot. Um, we've had a few really great offers and I really resisted. And I knew we were doing really well in terms of uh, maintaining, you know, a really strong brand and trajectory in terms of our growth. But, you know, like steady organic growth. And last year, you know, we got approached by quite a few other people and I thought really if we want to try and, you know, expand more internationally and if I want to do more in content and things that I think would really help to support and underpin the brand, we probably would be good to get some uh, an injection of capital into the business. But I was also really conscious of finding the right partner and over the last three years there's been some offers but no one that I found I thought was right for the business. So finding that right partner strategically not only who could help with the financial side but also strategic but also values aligned so that was really important to me Mm -hmm. so Sam Mackay and Harvey Carter they're old friends and Sam was the CEO of Jalik and Harvey was the head of um, acquisitions and mergers at Westpac and they're old friends from high school and last year they decided that they were going to set up a PE fund and Sam and Laurence Crissol, who was a deputy uh, CEO of Jalik, it was just one of those things where all stars aligned, where all mm. these people were telling me, you've got to meet this guy called Sam. And then I remember Joe Horgan from Mecca rang me to congratulate me on speaking at WWD in New York. And she said, oh, I really want to introduce, introduce you to this friend of mine, Sam McKay. And so it was all like, well, who's this guy Sam McKay everyone keeps telling me about? And so he rang me and he said, can we um, catch up? And so it, we did and Laurence came as well and then I met Harvey and the synergy there was just brilliant and they also were very passionate about the brand and helping people And philanthropy was a really big thing to them, which is something that's close to my heart and also, very, yeah, very values aligned. So it was the first investor that I went, this is really – so we went through a four-and-a-half-month due diligence process and, you know, there was um, – it was actually, you know, very smooth – compared to what I hear that some processes can be an absolute nightmare. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so it's been amazing. And they so they came on board in September last year and Laurence Crisole joined the company
0: as our COO. And so, yeah, it's really so, yeah, it's been amazing. So the $10 million, you're going to use it to grow in Asia. What are your plans and how do you know what to do next? Such a good question.
1: And I think with a brand like The Beauty Chef, there are so many. We have so many opportunities, which is just amazing, and so many different regions that would love The Beauty Chef, so from Asia to Europe to the Middle East to Canada. And so. And then there's lots of things that I would love to do with the brand in terms of building on our content because content's very close to my heart and education and, of course, more products. So it's sort of that thing of, well, okay, what are we going to do? So we're really working on our strategy at the moment, and I think something that's really important, it's something that I've learned in business, is not to spread yourself too thinly. Thank <laughs> you in terms of you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're an ideas person. I'm very much an ideas person, but I'm very focused on what I want to try and achieve. And I try not to get too distracted and it's about focusing on a few things at a time rather than trying to do everything. So we're just at the moment looking at different business cases and got thinking, where is it best for us to kind of move to next? We know we want to expand globally. We want to move into other areas like, you know, work on skincare at the moment, which is really, really exciting for the brand. And so just trying to tick off a few things rather than doing everything and doing what we do well.
0: And so talking about expansion, I told you I was in the US recently and I was thinking, oh, I left my Glow at home. I don't – I need a supply. Um And then I was in Sephora buying some eyelashes uh, because that's what you have to do when you work in breakfast television. Yes. Um Buy eyelashes and yes, then definitely. painstakingly um, put them on yourself. But then I realised that Glow was stocked in there, which is incredible. And you're also on Goop. Netta Porter, you're at Selfridges, um, which is notoriously difficult to get into. How did you get the beauty chef on the shelves in these big stores?
1: So it's really interesting, and something that you know when people talk to me about, you know, how do you know? Where who to partner with, and I think sometimes it's what's really important is to learn when to say no as well. And and so when I look back to when we we were approached by a really big company in America, and so we want to stock Glow, and we were you know n- not known in the US at all, all around the world. And I was thinking oh, this is a great way that we could educate everyone about the beauty chef and get it known. And I thought, but it's not the right platform. It's not the right partnership. It wasn't a brand that I thought it could represent our brand well. And I said, no. And everyone around me went, Carly, you're mad. Like that is an incredible platform to get your brand out there. I know it's not probably completely brand aligned, but it's still, you know, it will get you the, the recognition. And I just went, it's just not right. Mm-hmm. And that was the best decision because I know now that, you know, Net-A-Porter, Goop, Selfridges wouldn't have taken our brand had they, we partnered with this other company And, but in terms of those, um, Businesses. we were very lucky they came I, They came to us. So Selfridges was one of the first companies or department stores that came to us. And, you know, that was kind of like a really hard business decision because I'm like, we're not set up in the UK. We've got to do all this work and spend all this money. But how can you say no to, <laughs> to Selfridges? And so we were, because I think we were pioneer. we pioneered the inner beauty category when businesses started to, you know, these categories emerged and they felt that it was important for them to be part of them. Um, the beauty chef was one of the first businesses that they approached. Yeah.
0: Now you say that it was lucky and that they came to you, but um, there's so much work that you put into it before that. You know, it's 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 a little bit luck, and you know, but I, I think that you're really um, you're really playing down like how prepared you were and how driven you were leading up to that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, but you know, I I think about the beauty chef when I started. And I think that it's in Sephora. And I find that just amazing because back then it was, you know, such an organic natural product and weird, and bacteria and fermented. I mean, I wanted to educate people about healthy living. I never thought it would end up in in Sephora. Mm. So it's so interesting and for me so
0: exciting to see how the industry has shifted. Like it's super exciting. Was there anything early on where you realised that you had to upskill when the business started expanding? It's so
1: funny. Again, I look back and, you know, I was a creative and suddenly I'm doing, you know, P&L, you know, looking at profit and loss and trying to understand it all. And I guess I upskilled on the job. And I think that's the best way to learn often is on the job. And asking lots of questions. So, you know, picking the brains of friends who are in business and finance and accountants and hiring the right people. And I've made some mistakes in that area, like, you know, gone for bigger accounting firms that don't really understand the brand and can't offer the kind of, uh, the service that's sort of more, I guess, personalized and careful service because they're so working with big brands and, you know, so therefore I haven't been very careful. And so in that respect, I always say to people, it's so important that you get the right accountant and someone who does really care about the brand and someone who's smaller. And also that works with you on, yeah, really intimately understanding the brand and all the other like tax concessions, things like, you know, R&D grants, export grants, all the things that young brands can get support from the government um, as well as, but, you know, you still have to check the check Unfortunately, you know, I have learned that, um, that no one's going to care about your business as much as, you know, especially the finances. It's so important to always kind of, understand what's going on and being able to, you know, weekly sort of look at everything cash flow, making sure that everything's running smoothly and most importantly that, you know, you've got sort of more coming in than, than going out. <laughs> going and I guess that really is the common sense. <laughs> that part of finance I do understand. <laughs> but that's common sense, right? And that's where I guess what I was really always conscious about cash flow. And I've always run a quite a tight ship. And so I guess, you know, really getting funding only last year, I was managed to kind of grow the brand very, very organically by running a tight ship and really being very conscious about not overspending and keeping overheads low. And we do a lot of our creative in-house that we don't source out to um, lots of, you know, um, different agencies. So we're very self-sufficient at The Beauty Chef. And I like, you know, like I like being that that way. I think it always feels really good and the team love it too when we can
0: kind of be, you know, roll up our sleeves and being, you know, hands on the job. Is there anything where you've done it in-house and, mm. you know, it's been painstaking and you have you know, sort of happy with the end product, yeah. but then at the end of it, you sort of realise that maybe if you just paid someone a bit of money, then it would have been less painful? It's a very good question.
1: And, I mean, I'm sure there are things that we've done that probably we could have, you know, got external help and it would have been much easier. I guess trying to do, yes, <laughs> trying to do a website a couple of years ago ourselves, um, trying to uh, improve it and working, you know, doing it in-house was an absolute Sort of nightmare, and I think that's something that we all learn. Now we're sort of upgrading our website at the moment, and we're doing it with an agency, <laughs> agency with a, like with a, yeah, externally, which is much, much better. And I think when you realise, I mean, I think it's something that's really important, and for me personally as well, is understanding where the gaps are, mm. and so you know, finding people to support you where you are you know on um, things that aren't your strength mm. and and I guess something I'm more mindful now as we're getting bigger and we have more funds is where you know you want to work um, smarter not necessarily harder and so sometimes outsourcing or can make things and especially when your team have got a lot of different projects on it's like let's just ta- you know we're not good at that let's take that away from us and give it to someone to do and let's focus on
0: the things that work that we're good at. Has the last ten years mm. matched up to what your expectations were for the beauty chef?
1: yes, and we you know honestly, when I look back, I just felt so strongly about what I'd sort of developed with the glow and a beauty powder and the philosophy of the beauty chef. And I I did want to create a really amazing, empowering brand that really helped people to be the, you know, the happiest, healthiest versions of themselves. Did I think how big or no, I just knew that I wanted to get it out there and to educate and to inspire. And so, yeah, I look at what, you know, look at the last 10 years, it's been a very amazing, wonderful period of time. And I look at, you know, I was just... I, went to a, um, I did a masterclass with a whole lot of customers about three weeks ago and I had a couple of women come up to me and actually in tears and saying how much the beauty chef had changed their lives and the education around gut health and so that kind of continuous feedback that we get from our customers how much that we've we help them is you know gives me so much motivation in
0: terms of you know just wanting to even do better. Do you think that's the most satisfying part of what you've done so far? Because, I mean, financial security and business success um, is, is one thing, but being able to, you know, see people whose lives you've changed yes, for me, that is probably the most rewarding
1: thing out from what I do is helping people and creating products that are life-changing for so many people and content that helps people rethink around the way that they eat and their lifestyle and their gut health and how important gut health is. Because I really believe that that is the future of nutrition and medicine is around um, the microbiome. And and also, I, you know, I've got to say, I, I do love all of the design side of the the brand as well. I love creating, helping to create alongside my team. You know, inspirational content and educational content and beautiful imagery and yeah. So there's lots of things that I love, but probably, you know,
0: you the the, the most important is changing people's lives. So last question: Where do you see yourself, the beauty chef? Um, whatever whatever your dreams are, where do you see yourself in in ten years? So
1: continuing the path of the beauty chef and educating people providing them with inspiring content and efficacious products that really shed light on the importance of gut health and nutrition for beauty and well-being and you know more of a content hub and an expanded product line and you know we'd love to look back you know in my sort of 90s and go wow you know we helped millions of people
0: with their gut health their well-being and their and their lives. Mm. Well, you know, it must have been exciting to find out that Meghan Markle was a fan, but then also, you know, knowing that I'm a fan as well. (laughs) That was was far more exciting. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me this week with Carla Oates, the founder of The Beauty Chef. Before you hop online to shop their range, make sure you tap those stars and leave us a review. Have a great week. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by the Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Garni and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.